Hi, welcome to Sibling Vulnerability. Doug and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to Sibling Vulnerability, episode five, Doug. We're episode five. Yeah, We're, we could start using Roman numerals if we wanted. We got so many episodes. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, after I'll probably get to like fifteen, and um, I don't know what to do next. No. It's so true. <laughs> I'll have to Google so it. True. I'll have to Google it. <laughs> yeah, uh, my extensive history of watching wrestling means I'm a Roman numeral expert because that's all they use for WrestleMania, except for certain ones like WrestleMania. 13 is a little different it's like just actual one three and then uh uh like wrestlemania 2000 is different but that's enough stupid wrestlemania trivia yeah we should uh (laughs) we should acknowledge what land we're on because we're at the end of of our episodes our we're introducing um so i am living in what's what the colonizers call settlers call Castle Gar, and mm-hmm. that is Sinaiq's territory. And um, yeah, it has a very interesting history mm. of um, of settling with um, different groups. The I think the most interesting story, and so if people are interested in looking into it, is um, sort of how the Dukabors and First Nation people. Uh, had to figure out settlement here. Mm-hmm. It probably was less than optimal as most settling stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, especially when two, when groups are being pushed to small parcels of land and then almost infighting becomes necessary because you, there's so little resources, mm-hmm. which is generally uh, what, what, colonizers prefer let's why would why do we want to fight people let's have that let's make things so desperate that they have to fight themselves and then we also don't look bad anymore yeah but it's um, garbage yeah. anyway and so yeah and of course the duke of history here is you know people fleeing a, a bad situation so mm-hmm. you have oppressors coming to oppress the oppressed <laughs> yeah Buffy St. Marie has written a lot of good songs about that. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, she has. Yeah. Um, I'm Dougie Kane. Uh, I reside on the Kikite First Nation, uh, which is the, uh, the uh, colonized city of uh, New Westminster, uh, British Columbia's first capital, until some jerk uh, who became, I don't know, he's governor in BC or something like that didn't like new west so he decided to move it to the island which is dumb everyone knows new west is the gateway to bc you go to the north super fast you go to the kootenai super fast you go to vancouver super fast surrey super fast uh you know this is the an amazing piece of land um and it is the unseated territory of the kakite first nation um one thing I've really been thinking about Sarah is um, she did a workshop or on, um, I believe, like Indigenous uh, uh, communities trying to get like artifacts back. 
and just mm -hmm. how a hard that is. They often, as disgusting as it is, they have to pay for stolen merchandise. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even and you know, just and also I think talked about the museum system and all that. And my feeling, um, this isn't going to be anything really uh, historical or anything. It's more just going to be in terms of accessibility. In my experience, is museums have been horrible for me. They're often not accessible at all. There's nothing really that is telling a story. And any of the like indigenous culture centers that I've gone to, I don't know if that's the correct term, but I hope so, have been just amazing experiences. Like there's oh, auditory experiences, there's great storytelling, there's usually like going out into nature and you're just actually really experiencing things. And in general, in terms of accommodating uh, me as a person with a disability, I find way better. Usually things are accessible. They are respectful and understanding. Uh, so in terms of a, just an accessibility experience, I prefer Indigenous culture centers, and I wish we had stopped being jerks and, and charging exorbitant prices for people to just, these folks, to get their own artifacts back that were stolen from them. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that is. And um, yeah. And I mean, I part of uh, part of why there is more um, storytelling and auditory things is because they're um, they come from an oral tradition. Right. So mm -hmm. that's already yeah. built into their culture, which is awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think actually really I know that sometimes museums and stuff have you know they have to charge some fees and stuff because it's not free to yeah for people to access those things but um i think they should all be on a donation business because mm. or thing because i feel like arts and culture should not be for only the privileged who can afford mm. it no i i i agree I think that also when you're on the donation system, that's going to maybe allow those pieces to come in a more natural way versus, you know, you just charge, you make X amount of money and you got to disperse that every year. So let's go buy this or this or. Yeah, I, I feel know. like donation systems. I know when it's a donation system, I am inclined to be more generous than. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not always like, you know, it sort of matters what's going on my in my bank mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. at that given moment but if I you know uh, hit me at the beginning of pay week you'll probably get a 20 and if it's like two days before my next paycheck you probably get a five <laughs> you know what? that's the beautiful thing I find about sliding scale for anything though I think people are generally honest about that and you're you're going to still make what you make um, yeah. I think for every person that can only afford $5, there's maybe going to be a person, a rich person that's actually given that's going to give, you know, $20. Yeah. And yeah. I also think that, um, if, so if the set price is $10, then you have a certain amount of people who can't afford that. But if you mm -hmm. have, if it was $5 or a sliding scale, then, yeah. um, you might have like 10 people that come and give you $5 rather than two people that come and give you $10. So you still make more money. 
Um, one thing I like is both, uh, like usually therapists in their first five years will often offer a sliding scale, like a general, I'm going to give maybe a general bike. I, uh, I'm a huge, huge believer in, in, uh, uh, a therapy routine. I, I currently, I generally have a bi-weekly therapy routine. Uh, currently, uh, I've been going through a bit of, uh, difficulty. So I'm on a, I have a, a weekly therapy routine. Well, I think we should actually maybe get to our, before I off track too much, yeah. we should maybe get to our, our, our topic this week, yeah. which is kind of about, I think, setting goals and uh, like kind of maybe following through on those goals. Yeah. Being accountable to yourself. Being accountable to yourself. Uh, uh, me and Sean probably both have different sets of goals, but we probably want the same outcome of reaching those goals. Yeah. 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 Uh, reaching them. And so Doug and I were already talking a little bit about, um, for me today, I'm realizing, um, oh, so I have, I have several different things. I'm very immersed in a dog training, learning experience right now, which Mm -hmm. has been, is really fun and I enjoy it. And I realized that So in about two weeks, I'm actually going to be responsible for teaching my own group class. And it is full. Like it's registered. Yeah. Right. So that's very cool. And I'm I'm doing a couple of other like online things. And I'm realized today, like the Mm -hmm. alarm bell sort of went off. I'm like, you have like two weeks to get ready for this. And you Mm. spent like five hours watching these videos, which isn't a bad thing, but you should at least dedicate an hour of that to like practicing mm. what you actually need to do. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. For said class, right? So, um, and, and also realizing, okay, why am I not doing that? So, you know, being, I think this is where self-awareness is really important. It's like, okay, I feel pretty nervous about that part. So uh, is anxiety or um, some sort of resistance, actually the reason why you're avoiding that a little bit. So, so for me, it's going to be really important to, uh, have scheduled time uh-huh. each day, or at least, um, probably I can make time every day, but at least several times a week for mm. the next couple of weeks to be really as prepared as I can. And then I won't feel so anxious about it. That makes sense. Yes, that is, well, that's a fantastic goal and a plan. Yeah. Um, uh, I, well, this does not surprise me though. Uh, I mean, I've seen you putting a ton of work into at least around with your videos and your self-recognition of wanting to improve your skills as a dog trainer, uh, constantly. I think those things are really, uh, are good. And just, uh, that you have anxiety before going in is actually a really good and normal sign because it means that you really care about how this goes and, uh, yeah, I'm proud of you. I've seen how much hard work you put into this, and uh, I think you're going to do fantastic. Uh, it's your first class, so there'll probably be fuck ups. That's no, oh shit, there'll probably be mess ups, and that's normal. Uh, even in my facility, like in my facilitation journey, it's definitely, I'm just starting to feel a bit more comfortable with it, and I've been kind of doing usually at least once, once a month some form of facilitation for uh since february so i guess that's seven months yeah i know and i'm pretty excited so tomorrow 
I got to practice on uh, some real world practice a little bit Ooh. with uh, my new grand puppy, Koa. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, puppy sit Koa while Curtis goes to bowling. Oh, so, um, I knew you were going to get in, be able to get in there and do some uh, secret training. Yeah, I actually, it's not even very secret. I've been over to Curtis's a couple times and uh, I see him, I see him doing what we've already been doing with Domingo, so. Okay, amazing. Yeah, so that's been pretty cool. And uh, um, yeah, and he's very, he's a very attentive, Curtis is a very attentive to his puppy needs. So Koa's gonna yeah. have a, a great owner. There. That uh, that does not surprise me though, because he's always just had that focus and dedication, and he um, he just cares and loves nature so much and animals that yeah it doesn't surprise me that. Uh, and then also though with you being able to to pass some mentoring tips on, yeah, I think that will be because uh, he's also very receptive to kind of just little you know tidbits of information in the in the like, like most people we're receptive when we receive it the way that we like <laughs> exactly or when you ask or when you ask <laughs> yes exactly yeah. when you ask that is always <laughs> so i've talked I, uh, about that several times haven't i <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah so anyway yeah i'm actually i think i should probably I think if I reframe it I'm probably more excited than anxious so that's cool you know they feel a lot the same in your body so sometimes you just need to rename it um so yeah I'm mostly excited I'm pretty lucky I've had lots of time in the class I know how it runs um the person who's mentoring is actually going to be in the building um okay. And she's like, I don't have to be there, but I can be there. So I was mm. like, I don't mind if you're there at all. I feel like I have a little life raft if I need one, you yeah. know, <laughs> for the first bit. So uh, anyway, so we'll see how it goes. But yes, I think mostly it's going to be about preparation and mm -hmm. mindset and also knowing like, you know, when you're dealing, especially with puppies, and these are usually like adolescent puppies. Yeah, there's going to be a bit of a shit show every class, you know, like <laughs> that's true. That's that, true. And that is just like you're working right with with what you have to work with. And that is not predictable. Right. It's not like um, it's not like just giving a talk where you get to prepare it and and be really well prepared and the script isn't going to change. It's like, no, the script is changing in for every every dog in the class and every, not the script, but you have to work with what's happening at that very moment. So you have to be pretty flexible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like improv and that. Yeah, always gotta be prepared. Uh, every dog is different. Every dog reacts different. Yeah. These are things I didn't realize until really like uh, Lola is my first experience really having uh, a dog for a long period of time. Yeah. Other than I think my only real dog experiences was Peggy Sue, which I'm assuming was probably pretty short lived. Yeah. Long think, enough for well, me to recognize. You just don't remember the first five years, Doug. Oh, okay. We had that dog for a while. <laughs> yeah. So we got that dog oh, okay. when we moved on to our farm in Lumbee, and you oh. were a baby. So yeah. 
Um, Peggy Sue was probably around in your life until before, well, that's, before you moved to Prince George, she- That's in hope. I like, that's what I can cognizantly remember is us having to actually drop her off, I believe at a dad's friend's, I think probably on a farm or something like that. I can't, I can't imagine uh, our father wanting that, his prized dog to go to somebody new wouldn't be able to, uh, to take care of. Right, yeah, her. and she was very much a working dog. So I think, yeah. I, I would say that we had her for like at least four to five years maybe mm. six. Okay. Um, and, but you are really young when we got her. So you don't remember all those years. So no, no. Okay. Yeah. So then Lola is my second dog experience. Yes. First one remembered. I had a partial dog experience in Selmo where I somehow got like, I don't know, convinced to adopt a puppy uh, when I was like, almost like out of grade 12. It didn't last long. The puppy ended up going to a lovely farm, though, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that was good. Because uh, I also knew uh, my I, grade 12, I think this would have been like May. And, and I knew my, uh, even then, I was very uh, self-aware that my, uh, my living situation wasn't going to be in Selma for probably past August. <laughs> uh, <last> graduation date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I was out two weeks after graduation. Mm. I had just enough time to um, Canada Day. I was there for Canada Day that year, actually. I remember that. I had just enough time to, uh, uh, back in grade 11, I, I, I'm going to tell a, a tale of Douglas's high school years. All right. Uh, this involves... Uh, uh, back in the day, uh, there was, uh, in the 45, 40s, there was a drug called LSD that was used by armies for uh, uh, experimentation and caused hallucination. Uh, it became popular, uh, in, it was popular in the 60s and 70s at Woodstock. People didn't want to do the brown acid. That was bad. Uh, and uh, still, I believe, used for, for testing amongst people up until probably the 80s, until the war on drugs really cracked down on everything. Uh, but in the 90s, for some reason, it made a surprise comeback. Uh, well, you know, so I, it was still there in the 80s, Doug. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so as a teenager in a small town with lots of drug problems, I dabbled a little bit in this. Uh, and then one time I had what's called a bad trip. He got like some uh, really strong potent stuff, got like uh, messed up in 15 minutes, which is, uh, you know, usually LSD is going to be a slower kind of intake and shakes about 45 minutes to fully kick in. But this was a, a fairly strong dose that I probably did too much of. I probably did a hero dose, which wasn't smart. And, and then we decided to go, uh, well, we decided to go to uh, cross a busy highway. Like, imagine all these, keep in mind, uh, I'm on hallucinogenics and I also have no vision. <laughs> so we decided to. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely caused some fear. We decided to hit all the hotspots that you want to go to on that situation. Uh, also, I still probably had a lot of social anxiety that back then. So we like, I think at some point crossed the, the highway coming into Nelson, which is a pretty busy highway. Like we jaywalked across that, which wasn't wasn't smart per se. Well, you didn't stay in your safe little small town. You went to the slightly bigger city. We did. We went to the slightly bigger city. Yeah. Uh, I think you ended up um, going to the mall. Yeah. 
How oh, did I you should... get there? Did someone who was hallucinating no. drive? I, I, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, no, he did not. Okay. The one person that was driving was not on on this, and he was cranky and bitter about it. Oh. I remember um, I was when we were coming back from Nelson, finally coming back to Selma, and as coming through, he uh, his vehicle at the time was like a big Buick or something like that. It was one of his boats. Yeah. And uh, he was listening to some CBC weird CBC stuff, which you know normally that's cool. Yeah. But when you're just trying to come back, it was making me even more groggy. They're like, he was kind, could you turn this stuff off? It's like just too much. Yeah. You need this art deco CBC stuff. You just wants to <laughs> come back from wherever. I should say what before we went to Nelson though, which I think predated all this bad trip was we decided to climb like a, a mountain, like a rock. Probably yeah. wasn't a mountain, but it was probably like say a, a 15 minute climb up rocks for sighted people, but a combination of hallucinogenics and poor sight uh, <laughs> was not a good combination for me. So I, you know, I, as a normal person, I said, I'll never do this again, period. Right. Uh, but the summer of uh, grade 12, right before I left for the big city on Canada day, I did a regular dose one more time. And that was the last time I've ever done it. I never will do it again now too old for that yeah. um oh actually that's not true i think i'm micro dosing and all that stuff and i've micro dosed uh mushrooms i think yeah. i'm 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 derailed um uh, i got back on that horse and it was safer with a regular dose in a good environment instead of being crazy and rock climbing and a bad dose right yeah well i do have my own uh Good trip and bad trip stories, but I'll save those for another day. Um, I should get to my accountability you know, you and how I got to this here. I know how I got here. So I'm not currently working. I'm, I saw, I had to, uh, I work for a, uh, a financial company. I, uh, uh, much like dog training, uh, I do uh, customer service over the phone and I'm pretty darn good at it actually. Uh, last time I left my role, I was in the 95th percentile of client service in, in my position after, uh, after three months. And before I left, before this whole three-year thing, I was also in that same position. So I've been pretty consistent in terms of our own metrics about being one of the best people uh, to, to deal with crazy people and make them happy. Yeah. Uh, normally uh, that gets you promoted, but when you have a, when you have a workplace accommodation, I believe it's in, apparently you actually cannot get promoted. Mm -hmm. uh, no one that I know of who has a WPA, uh, the, I think the eight of us have ever been promoted. So I'm pretty sure. And the only one person that I know within our company that is, uh, is blind that I believe does not have a workplace accommodation uh, has been promoted, but I feel they've done some sneaky stuff around that. Like, uh, so said person has a service dog, but um, once upon a time, this person, they were in a different world. They were called, they're in the credit department and they came to my world, which is in the cards department, the big money maker for a bank, yeah. uh, except they pay all the little money to those people because we're just frontline ants. Um, anywho, uh, I remember at the time, uh, them offering a volunteer schedule to walk her dog, but I'm like, even then I think, well, that should be an accommodation, but because she wanted to get promoted, then that means she can't do a workplace accommodation. Yeah. 
um, which is, uh, I feel discrimination. Yeah. So Doug, uh, I just thought of a solution for your problem potentially. Yes. Uh, you just need to get a dog so All that right. you can take some little walks at work and you'll be accommodated. <laughs> I would love that, but I have too much vision for a dog. It'd ah. be a forever wait list for me. Those go for like really low vision people and the wait list for them is crazy. Because a, a, a guide dog is uh, uh, like a $40,000 probably now invest. So it is a lot of uh, generally a purebred dog at 10 grand and then two years of just constant dog training. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. Maybe it's, I'll uh, take a project on for you someday, Doug, and I'll train maybe. you a dog. That'd be amazing. That would be fun. I'd just be happy if Lola was better trained some days. <laughs> but, you know, she's pretty good. Uh, so my God, I've been off work. So that means my uh, habits, they turn to shit. Uh, I think the S word's okay on occasion. We talked before in our blindness episode about nystigmus and eating habits. And uh, so I definitely believe uh, when I think about my whole life that I'm pretty sure I have poor eating habits. And when I get more stressed out, uh, they, they become not good. Yeah. Uh, which usually these workplace accommodations definitely cause me, uh, uh, anxiety and to, to generally actually go into, uh, uh, diagnosed depression. Right. Uh, now for two times, which is, uh, is difficult. Uh, I'm starting to feel better and, uh, be, um, so part of the, what this process is, is constant doctor's appointments, which, uh, I always kind of, I'm lucky. I feel my physician this time has, uh, has been fantastic. Uh, and in this case, it also will mean uh, a psychiatric assessment again, a second time yeah. uh, from a, a psychiatrist. But the person I did speak to briefly also seemed very lovely. And in a way, even made me feel uh, much more relieved when I told her about my medication history and my therapy history. Uh, she was like, well, then these things seem much more like situational. Right. Uh, and then I was explaining my work situation. I'm like, well, that's those are situational stresses. So then that makes me feel better that, you know, sometimes when you get into these things, that depress, you start to feel like crazy that it is yourself, I think. So you start looking for other reasons. Maybe there's something, the chemistry in my brain is off. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you, you know, the truth is this is happening because I'm being discriminated against and it's normal and natural to feel hurt when that happens but I think we're trained you know really through society that we should just ignore it and not have those feelings I think that was the past in mental health mm -hmm. uh but I feel fortunate that I think that's starting to change uh in opinion because I I really did feel uh the psychiatrist even over our few conversations was uh yeah really uh, more aware than even a previous psychiatrist I visited. So that was, uh, that also made me feel hopeful. Yeah. Um, um, well, and as you, you know, there is very different, even though this person's trained in psychiatry and that's a little bit more um, prescriptive, they can mm -hmm. still practice all, you know, integrated um, forms. So, you know, they could be very like solution focused or, um, you know, I, I mean, I would hope there are some, you know, psychiatrists that believe in, you know, some cognitive behavior therapy, as well as relational therapy. And, you know, I agree. not just there with their prescription pad, which 
uh, what the nice thing is, uh, yeah, <laughs> at least both psychiatrists I've had, um, the, even the reason for medication has been more first, just my either adju adjusting what I'm currently on. Mm -hmm. And, um, I definitely feel like the last, like, like she was very aware of, I mean, I had, I was having very bad symptoms when I was the last, the first, um, antidepressant medication. Uh, so I'm sure like our family, I would have a history uh, with depression, uh, but for various reasons, one or another, I didn't actually decide to take antidepressant medicine until I was about 43. Yeah. Uh, and really it would have been because the stress of the workplace accommodation just got me to a point where uh, I've, my body needed it. I'd never been so uh unregulated in my whole life so uh and i was recognizing this i should i'm gonna give a little story here maybe this would just be a last two-year rewind because that's how i am where i am uh so i'll be probably returning to work november 20th and so i feel i have a month i have to work on my own habits again uh like proper eating and all that which which i really worked on before i returned last time um so it's just building those back in. Uh, but this really, this process, even though it's been a long process, really would have the first time I would have uh, stemmed, I had a depression episode would have been when I returned to the contact center in April and I was, uh, RBC thought the best manager fit for me was like a bully, uh, a phone bully, really. Someone I'd never have any interaction with personally. Uh, and was just, I always only wanted to talk to you by the phone and would always just say horribly offensive things. Yeah. Um, as, and, and I think that was, it's interesting. I feel that was really the previous business, business manager's approach because like our new business manager, I feel definitely wasn't that, I think he's moved on, wasn't that way. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell that in the management and uh, the style that's preferred. Anyway, I had a basically a breakdown due to that. Um, and then I was off work for about three years. And then I finally got trained and returned this last this last February. Uh, and things are going great. I'm, I'm there six months. Uh, I am uh, yeah, pretty kicking ass through customer service. But they uh, where I work, we have a thing called compliance, which means how long you're chained to your desk. Yeah. Uh, and where I work in your, once you subtract your breaks, uh, in your six and a half hours, you're allowed 29 minutes to be away from your desk for six and a half hours, which is pretty short. Yeah. By the way, there's also some kind of weird formula that they can't quite explain is anytime another off-phone activity happens, it's going to shrink that, that time. Okay. Which makes no sense. They can never explain it. All they say is it's not, it's not a big deal. It balances out at the end of the week. I'm like, not if not, I mean, that doesn't make sense. Like if the person like doesn't go to the bathroom, it'll balance out, but I'm not, I'm not 22 anymore. Yeah. You know, this role is really meant for 22 year old entry level people. It's uh, yeah. you know, pretty hard on those people, people who people. don't have to pee for eight hours at a time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I was one of those ones, but not anymore. Um, and then also just uh, the crazy dynamic that, uh, you know, I do everything using a screen reader, which uh, which means you only your your ability to multitask is gone because you only can listen to one auditory 
thing at a time. Well, that's not true. I listen to two auditory things at a time because <laughs> I, I am speaking to a, a caller. I just can't multitask while doing that. So you really have to um, know how to manage that because you're not going to be able to do things as fast. That's a fact. So one way I do is with honesty. I often just will say that, uh, you know, I just blind. It takes me a bit longer. And I think, honestly, that's one reason why my, that honesty and approach uh, is why my survey statistics were even higher this time using a screen reader, uh, even though I feel that they thought I was not going to be able to do anything. And that's why they tried to delay it for like three years. That ended up the, the CCRW, the Canadian Council for Workplace and Rehabilitation, uh, are idiots, morons, and uh, are incompetent. <clears throat> I'm thinking of suing their assessor. That's my next step. I'm thinking of possibly filing like small claims court in Ontario because I'm just so concerned I still operating. I don't even really want money yeah. um, from it. I just want him to have to pay what if he hasn't paid taxes that should be paid to the to the, the government or whatnot for business taxes and that he shouldn't be operating. I don't want any money from him. I'm, I'm over that. What's been done is, is done. I can't control that. And, and I personally think the guy isn't rich or making a ton of money. That's probably why he's still he's a regular guy, probably still trying to work, but uh, you know, incompetence, uh, even if it's good meaning incompetence still, can really hurt people and his assessments back in 2015 for me to not use a screen reader has caused you know four years of physical pain through migraines and then their inability to even just do basic training has caused four years of, of mental health trauma right and i just don't believe that those kind of things should be let go in terms of proper litigation channels uh yeah. yeah that's my opinion so anyway i'm about to return to work again and that's happy but i have sh not good habits right now so i gotta start eating more properly uh having breakfast uh start with little goals this is something that uh you know i've been working on with my therapist just you know have one goal start start with that and sarah i'm a wife she's also very good with that yeah uh, she can recognize uh uh, when I'm having a bit more difficult time with my depression and to start finding littler goals to, to start with that. Uh, so, uh, cause I want to be uh, fully functioning for November 20th, ready to kick ass. Cause apparently we're going to do this workplace accommodation when I return to work. And, and I've made you know, pretty clear that I will only accept uh, a workplace accommodation evaluation from a person that is uh who I can verify their education in the field of, of, of blindness, which can be done through the Academy of Certified Vision Rehab Professionals, ACERVP, I believe. Uh, I think one thing that I'm also gonna start doing is being more active, maybe on uh, the Dougie Kane front around um, workplace accommodation and resources. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think, Part of that, if I'm going to get more people involved, is also giving them these resources so they they have the power to also ask these questions. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. Um, well, I I am really happy you're uh, you know sticking out your your job because it's your right to. Thank you. Um, 
but you know, if you ever want to become a social worker or something, Doug, you'd be good at that too. <laughs> and I would. And part of it is, um, you know, I, I enjoyed, even when I was back, like I enjoyed being at work up until the point it was time to start talking about my stats weekly. Yeah. Um, and particularly it's really hard when, you know, you feel the mat. I know the manager feels awkward as well, but they're just having to do their job. Yeah. Like every week she'd be like, almost like, you know, maybe this target's too much. Do you want to try lowering it? Let's talk about this, but she still, ha but she has her obligations to still, you know, do if I'm not meeting to have to go through this process. So, yeah. um, you know, one thing I've realized. It's her job to say that the target of the company is yes, yes right? Yes, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm pretty lucky she's, she's pretty cool, but it still is, uh, you know, it's awkward and it doesn't make you feel good. Yeah, yeah. And even when it's unofficial, and they still allow you to just kind of get, I feel it still doesn't make you feel, I, I just want to have fair goals set and I either want to meet those or be able to exceed those. Um, Cause right now what they do is a workplace accommodation. I think this is kind of sleazy yeah. is if you start, if they lower your goal, you can't, you can't get the top bonus. If you, if, even if you're hitting that, if you start exceeding that too much, then the CCRW wants to come in and do another workplace accommodation to maybe increase those stats. Right. Because they want to claim that they, they their technology has done that and maybe that can be, you know, so that should be the new goal. But then that means you're never really able to get your full bonus and that you're actually exceeding the real goal, which is already basically said to be impossible for us. So right. I, uh, I feel that's uh, discriminatory. <laughs> it's my personal opinion on it. Yeah. There's, there's a few practice, there's a few hard questions I've asked, like even within our, our company on their website, they'll promote positions that are fully accessible. Mm -hmm. And I have asked questions like, what kind of research have you done to determine that these are equally accessible for people with a physical disability versus a sensory disability? Um, uh, which by the way, they didn't answer. Right. If you, if you ask questions that are too honest or too real, in the corporate world, you should expect to either not get an answer or be gaslit. Yeah, is yeah. Uh, is my experience. It took you. It takes you a long time to realize to to get over that because you have to start to actually face, start to self acknowledge that. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm just being gaslit here. Right. Um, the other thing that's it's hard I, because when you are being gaslighted, your first response because gaslighting mm -hmm. is making you believe you're doing something wrong, even yes. if it's not. It's yeah. a very effective technique, you know. <laughs> it is. Oh, my God. It's amazing how good corporations are at gaslighting people. Yeah. I feel but, like I gaslight myself. <laughs> like yeah, I, 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 uh, uh, we had a thing at work. What was it? Oh, this is really dumb. But I couldn't find um, a bank card at work. And we have a sign in and sign out system you know? And so I was like, you know, I just sent a message. Did anyone accidentally take it home? You know, that can mm. happen. And then I was like, did I, did I take it? Did I not? Oh, yeah. that? You know, like I was like second guessing <laughs> myself. And then, you know, the whole time it was just stuck in the checkbook or something stupid, but I was so... like, so worried about that and whether it might be my fault. And I was just like, gee, like that is mm. silly you know, but it, I feel like I was, um, 
putting too much responsibility on myself or creating this, making up a fake story for myself. Mm. You know, it's not quite gaslighting, but maybe it's neurotic. I don't know. I feel I gaslit myself for like 40 years about my blindness. Yeah. Uh, and it really wasn't until I started to really accept that and start using it. It's interesting, like even just my general belief too has like, it's not just, I just feel even if you have 10%, you should still be using a cane. Like it's, it's not like it's anywhere near 20. I just feel for safety and all that, uh, which is a tricky thing. It's hard to change that because I do feel even culturally within the blind community, um, there's still a lot of cane shame. Yeah. Uh, which I can understand because there's so much shame around blindness in society so then you don't want to identify so it takes a long time to really get there um so uh and that's uh you know i think part of that is what i've done a lot of work to really get there and be a proud blind individual and and that's a real challenge in my workplace because they're not used to experiencing that they're not used to somebody that has um right, educated themselves to my level about the different types of organizations. Um, I know for for a fact that I'm involved in way more like blindness, uh, just organizations uh, and activities than any of my my peers. I mean, I play uh, probably one of the most, you know, next to next to goalball, I would say the blind, even though we're not uh, anywhere near an Olympic thing, I'd say the the blind hockey community is, is maybe the second biggest in Canada and you know I do even though I have disagreements with them on occasion like I really do feel they're trying to make movement around increasing the game for um you know opportunities for women and uh really trying to have a more diverse message I think they understand that uh the blind community is small and you cannot have divisions in it the only way we're going to be able to ever really uh, have enough of us to fight is to be a hundred percent united regardless of how we identify yeah because the one thing is yeah we all have different identification but we're rare in that we have blindness that attack that is similar so that's yeah and, huh. and i feel that's a great gift because that allows us to share more uh and have a greater understanding of other people's culture and generally to be honest because you're usually going to be uh, in the lower end of poverty to have a have an understanding of the difficult part of other people's culture, as well as blindness. It seems to me that co-ed blind hockey would be pretty safe. It's what we do now. Yeah. Um, we're just we've kind of I, I understand for new, um, like, especially if we're getting newer players um like I, I if you're a brand new whether you're you're like male or female and you don't know what you're doing you probably shouldn't be in any of our advanced programs it's just too quick yeah uh, like generally right now there's three levels of hockey there's going to be like development uh uh they they have something that's called open which is basically for people with up to 20 percent vision and then they have their uh they're, uh, I don't know, whatever they change it to, but the best people that are legally blind, which is 10% or less. Right. Because uh, uh, in Quebec, you can be legally blind with 20% vision. 
but also if you only if you have 20% vision, that, that's still pretty hard to play um, play regular hockey. Yeah, I can't. I have full vision, and then I can't seem to skate with a stick very well. So. Mm. <laughs> I think it's Henry um, though at the program. Uh, I'm like, go oh. ahead if. <laughs> If they got the same number, if they uh, they can get extra like any children there, uh, but they do like to brand at women's and girls because I think they get more funding that way, which I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Doug, so what are let? I think we should create some uh, goals, smart goals yeah. for ourselves okay. this week, since we're uh, talking about self accountability. Yes. Okay. Uh, my goal is to stay focused. Uh, long enough on this segment to come up with goals. Uh, so my first one will be, I, I do got to eat breakfast every day. Yeah. That's uh, my goal. Like uh, my smoothie and a piece of breakfast items, so like an egg or toast or a hash brown or some fruit. Uh, like before 11 o'clock, I can't just like, you know, yeah not eat drink coffee until two o'clock have my smoothie and then say yeah that's good i can now wait till dinner right that's four eating habits i've realized yeah yeah i think so my uh smart goal this week is i'm going to spend um let's see 30 minutes at least five days 30 minutes five days of the week um reviewing and practicing my script for the games I need to teach. That's mine. Amazing. Um, I actually do want to spend uh, 30 minutes being creative every day uh, this week. Uh, I have some writing things I got to do. I need to um, create, uh, I already have it in my head, but I, I got to, I'm doing a class breakdown uh, so what uh, are each of the specific uh, topics I'm going to talk about in each of my improv cl- uh, classes. And I'm also doing um, uh, a trivia, both at Creating Connections and soon for this, uh, my parish, St. Stephen's, I do the trivia night. Yay! Hey, trivia. <laughs> trivia. So, <coughs> excuse me. I'm going to write some questions because I have a meeting on Monday. So and I postponed it already by two weeks. So I better have questions. That will nothing like uh, nothing like pressure for me to actually really help increase my writing. Yeah. Uh, so that's the other goal uh, is to uh, do some creative writing every day for 30 minutes. And I have a little project that I'm calling Dougie Kane's accessibility journal. Yeah. And the concept is it's uh, like a, me as a five-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. uh so i'm just starting school or something like that in the years 2021 uh and i'm poor yeah poor and i uh i live with my dad wow Uh, and he's also he just recently fictional doug yeah he just he just recently uh my dad's name is howard though okay Uh, he just, he lost his vision though, like about just a few months after I was born, he has the diabetes. He never, you know, my dad's a bit of a party guy, Yeah, had the diabetes, didn't really take that great care of it. And now he's got a disability and he's struggling with it. Yeah. Uh, and he has that with, uh, to kind of in a way, uh, share with Howard as well. So the first day is Howard starts using a cane and then his, his dad begrudgingly starts to use a cane then as well. 
ah. after kind of dealing like the first five years without it. And they live, they live with their grand with his the dad's grandma in the poor side of Edmonton in her three bedroom run ramshackle apartment. And she's also blind. She got RP, but she lost it more around like 25. And she's just like, you know what? Oh, she's annoying, but she's a tough fucking woman. And her name's Rita Kane. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking like, she doesn't use a cane either, but I want to make her like set her, like she's a really strong character. And like the, like she's, you know what? People don't like her, but she's also a real activist. Like she's involved in the feminist movements and all that in the seventies. And so that's kind of the theme of how they all come together with different visual impairments. So that's something I've been wanting to work on. That sounds amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh, I actually, I do have one other goal that mm -hmm. I need to, which is I need to set a meeting mm -hmm. with my mentor to mm -hmm. go over exactly what my responsibilities are going to be in this class because uh, okay. I'm assuming that I just have to show up and teach it but yeah. she does a lot of background work, which I'm not sure she actually wants to do all of that stuff. Mm. You know, like she has a Google Classroom that she hosts and um, she's, I think I do have to just like kind of keep to her teaching schedule of what the four weeks entails. Like there's a certain amount of games that we'll play, but mm -hmm. yeah, so I need to, I need to clarify those things. So I need to set a specific time mm. to, um, make sure that I understand what my role and responsibility is exactly. Mm. That would be very important. It <laughs> would be very important. Yeah. So I like uh, your story uh, goal better than that, though. That's, thank you. Yeah. Um, do we want to do, uh, do we want to have check-in episodes, maybe mini check-in episodes and then mini a final big goal episode? I think so. We should have like... Um, do you want to like check in at the end of the week or do you, or two weeks? Yes. Uh, let's check in at the end of the week. I feel that will give me more accountability. Yeah, I think so. Two weeks is plus two weeks is, uh, mine is sort of a two week deadline. So I should okay. have a good check in in the, in the week. So next and, Saturday, we'll do a mini check in. All right. Woohoo. All right. Well, uh, I think, you know, this is a fun episode. We stayed like at least 20% on topic. We did, we uh, did. And, uh, you know, the filler parts are, are what's more fun anyway. It's more fun anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of practice and progression, I think I did this song on our first episode. I'm going to try it on my 12 string now. Okay. I'm see if I've improved in any way, shape, or form. All right. Let's hear uh, it. So play. Thanks for continuing to listen, yeah, everyone. All, all seven of you. We appreciate it. <laughs>
I've played this song too many times. Wow. It's not going well, well there. Nice it's sound improved. That was a nice sample. Thank you. Thank I you. Your guitar sounds. Thank you. Thank um, you. I also realized I can't use it too many times. Neil Young will sue us. Oh, yeah. We can't give... Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure word's going to get out to Neil that this podcast yeah. is going on and you don't... Uh, well, and you know what? I'm going to... I'm gonna, <laughs> in a, in a, One evening when I was a little, smoked a little too much weed and had a couple of drinks, I, uh, I wrote a letter to Neil Young criticizing the accessibility of Neil Young archives. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he really cared. Probably, um, <laughs> so he probably just smoked a joint and like, oh well, man. Yeah, oh well, man. He's pretty chill. Oh well, man. Okay. Well, well, uh, well, it was great to uh, get together and do this. I'm excited about my goals. I'm probably gonna go and practice some stuff right now while I'm jazzed up about it. Amazing. Uh, I'm excited about my goals as well, and I'm excited to uh, chat with you next week. All right. I'll talk to you later. Let's see. Stop. Hi. Thanks for listening to Sibling Vulnerability. Please keep checking for new episodes. We know they're a little sporadic, but... Uh, We're doing the best we can. Thanks.